Welcome to Open All Ours, the QPR podcast. My name is Ash Rose, a voice you're probably not too familiar with. It's been quite a while since I've been on the show, but I'm on hosting duties today because this is a very special interview. This is an interview that I conducted, whoa, it was quite a while ago. We've been saving it for you for a number of reasons, but we're releasing it this week, fresh off the back of Friday night's win over Luton, uh, who've got a Luton connection, actually, and last night's win over Huddersfield as well. You may have seen in the QPR Luton programme, uh, an interview I did with Roy Wegley. Well, that was just a snippet, people. We have got the full audio of my chat with Roy that was conducted over Zoom, obviously, a few months back, where we chat all about his Queen's Park Rangers career, that goal, that game, his departure, his arrival, either his career either side of Rangers as well. We cover it all in an exclusive chat. This is a chat that Roy has only done with me, and he's only doing it for the QPR programme and the QPR podcast. So it's really, really good, big pleasure for us and a bit of a coup for the podcast to get Roy on the line. Because I, he, as far as I know, and I'm a big Roy Wegley fan, in fact, he's one of my big heroes. I try not to fanboy on him too much during the interview, but I've never heard him talk about Queen's Park Rangers before, or certainly not for a long time. He's He freely admits he hasn't done an interview. And I've been chasing him for quite a number of years. So it was a massive, massive pleasure, as I keep saying, uh, to speak to this iconic number 10 for Queen's Park Rangers from the early 90s. So sit back, enjoy my chat with the one and only Roy Wegley. Joining us on the line now, all the way from Florida, he is a former Queen's Park Rangers number 10, one of the greatest number 10s to play for the club and someone I'm really, really excited to speak to, as I'm sure you're very excited to hear from as well. Please welcome to Open All Ours, the one and the only Roy Wegley. How you doing, Roy? Thanks, Ash. Good, mate. You're making me blush with all of that. <laughs> well, I'm trying not to fanboy on you too much, Roy. I know we, to open the c- curtains a little bit, we've spoken previously, so I'm, I'm a little bit less hyper than I was the first time speaking to you, so I'm trying not to, to fanboy you uh, at all. Um, I'm just looking at your screen at the moment. You've got your lovely Christmas tree up. You're very vest- festive. Um, tell us what you're doing in, in Fl- before we get into it. Tell us what you're doing in Florida at the moment. Well, um, the weather's got nice and cold here in the last couple of days, so it's turning into a winter. Normally, it's roasting hot this time of the year. So um, everything's good. Uh, like we spoke before, I will talk a little bit about the past and, and QPR yep. and all that good stuff. And then I'm just helping um, do some online videos for a company called Sportshead TV. Talk a little bit more, more about that. It's just helping kids around the world learn how to play the game properly with some online videos that I'm helping with. So hopefully that's going to be something that uh, will be useful for kids around the world stuff we'll, we'll chat about that before we go as well um that's take you right back first of all Roy this is you know I normally start in the 90s but because it's it's so such a pleasure to talk to you that started you right back I mean people will know you for playing for the US but that might not everyone might know that you're actually obviously born in South Africa how where did your love for football stroke soccer come from what where in how young were you when you discovered it and how did you discover it as a young lad in, in South Africa I had um three older brothers two of them were professionals they were seven, eight, nine, ten years older than me. So when they started kicking the ball around, you know, when you're the younger brother in the family, um, I followed their lead. And that's how I got involved in the game, started playing when I was young. And um, 
I have two older brothers that played in, in Amsterdam or Rotterdam for Feyenoord. Yeah. And then they both came to America and played back in the days when George Best and Johan Cruyff and all those players were playing when the league started in the States. And I just followed their lead. So when I finished high school in South Africa, I came to the U.S. Uh, to college, played one year at college. Um, and Rodney Marsh, who QPR fans are well aware of, obviously, he was the team of the he was the coach of the team in, in Tampa. And he saw me play at college and um, signed me for the professional team in Tampa. And I started playing with him and he, he became my agent and eventually took me to London and to Chelsea Football Club. So that's the way I, I got introduced to England. You played for the, the Tampa Bay Ra Rowdies, didn't you? What was the, mm -hmm. sort of the American scene like at the time? Because the MLS is as good as it's ever been in 2020. What was it like in the, in the 80s for you? Because we've seen some of the pictures and, and stuff, yeah. some of the hits as well, which were some, some works of art. But what was it like yeah. playing for you? Well, it was... Um, the league at that time was it was mostly trying to get superstars from around the world who had finished in their leagues, pretty much the way the MLS now. They, they try and get players that have played in Europe and have been a big name there, bring them to the States. And so they had the likes of Pele and George Best and Johan Cruyff and, you know, all those type of players sent to different teams around the country in the U.S. And I remember watching one game when I was 16 years old. I came over to see my brother in the States and they had 75,000 people with at one of the stadiums, you know, and it was just, it was amazing. They know how to put on a show in the States and that's, you know, that was the way it was. Um, and then that league eventually crumbled because it didn't have a good foundation. Um, and that's, you know, I was in that league at the time when it crumbled in 84, 85. And then Rodney decided to, you know, ask me if I was interested in playing in England, which I was. And I did. He took me to, to Chelsea. Did, did you know, did you think in yourself at that point that, you had the ability to, to play in, in Europe because obviously the standard in America was a certain standard at that point. Did you mm -hmm. believe at that point you, you thought you had the, the right tools to, to play in Europe? I, I thought I did. I mean, I, I, you know, I thought I had the skill and, you know, it would be a different way of playing. And, and it was the, the English first division back then when I went to Chelsea. It wasn't the Premier League then. I think the Premier League only came around in 93 or not, was it 92 or 93? 92, yeah, 92. Yeah. So I believed in myself. Rodney, yeah. Rodney believed that I had the ability. And so it was just a case of trying to get myself into a club and then get uh, conditioned to the way the English game was, which was completely foreign for someone like me who had grown up in South Africa, you know? So, but anyway, we, we got me over there. I signed for Chelsea. Yeah, things didn't work out that well at Chelsea. I think the two seasons I was at Chelsea, they, they were fighting relegation. So players like myself, um, which had a more flair, you know, about me was uh, that type of player was not really I wasn't really looked on to help them and it was a shame because you know I think I could have done yeah do you think it was a learning experience anyway because obviously maybe if you got into the team maybe been too much too soon was it a learning experience anyway being it it's possible I mean you see even these international players that are coming over now and playing in England it takes a little adjusting getting used yeah. to you know the Premier League and the speed and the and the you know the strength of the game it's very different to europe to the french and the italian league so uh, maybe it was a little bit too soon maybe it took me a year or two to figure it out which i did um yeah i mean it's it's tough for players who are not raised in in the uk to adjust to it but you know i had to do it there was no other way for me to go what were your first impressions of, of english football as a whole because i know you, when we spoke before you mentioned flair players like yourself weren't 
there was somewhat of a rarity. So what were your impressions of the English game when you first arrived? Um, you know, I, growing up in South Africa, I was very familiar with all the English teams because we used to get the match of the day and, and all, all the English, you know, the, the game. So I was aware of all the players and, and you know, the, the way the league worked. So it was a place I always wanted to play. Uh, I went to Manchester United as a 14-year-old on a trial uh, with another friend of mine from South Africa, a uh, two-month trial. And I played in the youth team with Mark Hughes, and Norman Whiteside, and those, and those guys. Uh, but unfortunately, I got injured two weeks into my two-month trial there. So the, the other six weeks of the trial, I was on the on the uh, injury on injury table. So that didn't work out. But anyway, I got myself to 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 the states, and then eventually got to England. But that's where I always wanted to go to. That's where I was, you know, I always dreamed of as a kid to be playing in the English first division. So in that respect, that was uh, one of my dreams came true by by you know eventually getting there. You ended up at Luton after Chelsea. How did, how did that move come about? And how did you? How much did you enjoy your time down at Kenilworth Road? How, what was that like for you and your career? Well, that was that was the way that worked out. Is when I was on trial, and when Rodney had first brought me on trial to uh, to Chelsea, uh, it was about a month or two. I was playing in the reserves on on a trial basis, and I played against. I think it was Fulham. We played Fulham reserves, and Ray Harford was the manager at Fulham at the time. And he had come to watch the reserve match, and I had a and a, it was one of the matches I played really well in, and which, which which I think which pushed Chelsea over the edge to sign me. And he'd seen me play that day, and I guess I stuck in his mind. So two years later, when you know Chelsea were prepared to let me go, he came in and took me to Luton, and and he was the only manager I would say, maybe apart from Don Howe at, at QPR, that let me just play the way yeah. that they thought I should be able to play, you know, and gave me a little bit of freedom. So the year and a half I spent at Luton, I went from being sold from Chelsea for 75,000 pounds to being a million pound player, which you and I spoke about before. So, you know, it, it, it got some belief back in me and I, I felt a lot more confident and just having a manager that believes in a player like myself, you know, and there were a lot of them at the time. Matt Letizia at Southampton was always being slighted for, you know, being too skillful and, uh, Gascoigne went through the same thing. So there were there were a handful of us players at that time that were, you know, frowned upon a little bit because maybe we had too much skill and we liked to bring it out, uh, which was unfortunate. So, you know, but anyway, I got to Luton, played well there for a year and a half, got to a Wembley Cup final in the League Cup. I think we lost to Forest. Uh, so, you know, things started picking up for me a little bit. And then the move to QPR was obviously something I wanted to do, get back to London. And, um, you know, Don Howe took me, and, and I had a couple of good years at QPR before things went sour again. You know? Yeah, we'll get we'll get to get to that. That's that start at mm. the beginning, though. And I mean, you know, as I've said previously, as you already know, and you're probably sick of me saying it, I'm such a we're such a fan of you. I'm such a fan of you. How did that move come about? Because I think there was interest from other teams, but what what made QPR the right move for you at, at that time? Um, there were three or four other teams that were interested, but I wanted to get back to London, and. Um, I knew Don Howe, obviously, from, from his reputation, from, like I was saying, growing up in South Africa when he was with Arsenal and, he, you know, the England manager and stuff, or assistant manager with England. So I knew a lot about Don Howe. Um, Ray Harford called me in the office one morning. He said, QPR are interested in you. Why don't you drive down to London and speak to, to Don and see what, you see what you think? And I jumped straight in the car, went down, spoke to Don, spoke to uh, Clive Berlin, was the general manager at the time, spoke with him, told him, 
they told me how interested they were in and how it would fit in nicely to the number 10 shirt at QPR because I was the type of player they were looking for. And it all sounded very good to me. And it, it didn't take much. So that's, that's how that move came about. You mentioned the number 10 shirt there. I mean, it's, it's somewhat iconic at Rangers. I know other clubs have the same thing, but, you know, Rodney, who you've already mentioned, this nice connection, this kind of symmetry of the QPR in yourself is really nice. Stan Bowles, Simon Stainrod. Then lastly, yeah. we've had like Adil Tarabd. Did, did it mean a lot for you to, to wear that number 10 shirt? Because your, your name is now cemented in that line. Mm. Yes, obviously, that was a great honour because I knew the tradition of the number 10 and the fact that, that they wanted me to be a part or play a part in that role with the history that it had is obviously, you know, was a feather in my cap. So I jumped at the opportunity and, and you know, like, like we spoke for before, the first year or two, it took me a couple of weeks to get, you know, conditioned. I'd been playing on artificial pitch in, at Luton. They still had, a, had an artificial. So I wasn't used to playing on grass every week. <laughs> so it took me a couple of weeks. I did a couple of extra sessions with Donnie would get me in in the afternoons and we'd work through a few things and, um, it all fell into place nicely for the first couple of years. Yeah, I enjoyed playing under Don. Yeah, we had a good team. We had a very good team. Very good team. I was going to say about Don. I mean, I always think that he's not given enough credit for the, the Jerry Francis team who finished fifth a couple of seasons later. Don kind yeah. of put the groundworks in. What was he like to play under? Yeah, he, he built a nice, nice foundation. He shored up the defence. I brought people in like Kenny Sansom. I don't know, was Kenny, I don't know if Kenny was there. Uh, when I got there, who came after me? I don't remember. But anyway, we our starting eleven was as good as any anybody yeah. in, in 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 the division at that time. It's just when you lose one or two players through injuries, you know the smaller clubs struggle because we don't have the depth that some of the bigger clubs like the Arsenal and, and Tottenham and you know they had bigger squads. So, but our starting eleven that first two years, I was there with Ray and Andy Simpson and Les and myself and Alan McDonald and David Steeman in goal. I mean Paul Parker. We had a great team. Yeah. So um, that was enjoyable for me. Those were the best two years of my time in England, definitely at QPR. Do you think that team was somewhat underrated? Because you mentioned the names there. I mean, some great names that some of Les, whose birthday is today, instantly, um, would oh. um, go on to do some great things. I mean, how, yeah. do you think the team was somewhat underrated a bit? Well, when you're a smaller club, you people, yeah, seem to think that way. But we, we had some great results. We, I think we beat the Arsenal most of the times in those two years I played and and Tottenham, and we had the great win at Man United when um, uh, Bailey scored the hat-trick. So, you know, we, we had some good results, and I think we proved to a lot of people, and a lot of players from that team went on to bigger and better things, you know. Uh, Paul went to Man United, David went to Arsenal. So there a lot of players from that team was, I was linked with Arsenal for a long time. I was linked with Liverpool. None, none of that was ever materialized, but, you know, it was good to be, you know, we were, we were recognized as a decent team at that time. I have to ask you about two games, Roy, and I know we've spoken about it already, but for the listeners, they have to hear you to go. You've mentioned one there already, which is the main United game, which we'll talk about in a second. The other, and I know you talk about this all the time, and so you bloody well should, because that mm. goal against Leeds at Ellen mm. Road, which for me, if Lionel Messi or Mo Salah, whoever else had scored it, mm. we'd see it over and over again on Sky Sports over here and, and all over the world. But what yeah. do you remember that day when you danced around the Leeds defence? Mm. I remember that day well. I mean, that was, um, that was one of those goals that come around once in a very long while. Um, and Leeds were a great team at that time. I think they finished yeah. first. Them. I don't think they won the, I think they won the, the, the division the next year. Yeah. But they finished up second or third that year. They had a great team. 
Um, just one of those things that you can't account for, Ash. You know, the, I remember the ball coming to me. And after that, everything just happened so quickly because tackles were flying in all the time. I didn't have time to think. So everything was a reaction from the time I got the ball wide on the touchline to the time it finished up in the back of the net. It was, you know, maybe it took five or six seconds for that run to, to unfold. And, you know, it's hard to explain because it was just instinct. And, um, yeah, that, I cherish that goal. I know the QPR fans do too. Yeah, I, I remind people. One of those things. Yeah, it was one of those things that happened. I wish I'd scored that a month ago. I'd be on a, on a good <laughs> wave right now. That's for sure. <laughs> and I, I remind people about, you know, a weekly basis about that goal. That it, it, did you score a goal better? I mean, obviously, TV was different back when you were playing. We didn't, every game wasn't televised. Did you score a better goal in your career? Do you know? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. Not, not against a team of, you know, that was yeah. that good and the players that were involved in that run. Um, I think there were three international captains in that. I think David Batty was one of the players that I might have got. I know yeah. there was uh, McAllister. He was the Scottish captain. He also threw yeah. a captain in there. And I don't know if Gary Speed was involved in that team. I, I think so. I can't tell. I can't remember. I'd have but to double check. So many times I should know this, but I'd have to go back and double check. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 it's tough for me to, to, to see there. But anyway, they were a great team. And um, yeah, it was just a great goal. I, I appreciate it. The fans appreciate it. Would have been nice to score that at Loftus Road, though, huh? Well, so there's something about doing it in the, the black and red Dennis the Menace kit that makes it even more, because it won ITV goal of season that year as well, which people... Yes, it did, yeah. yeah I don't know, something about wearing the away kit makes it feel even more special. I, I don't know what it was, but a great goal. Uh, the other away day that I, I wanted to quickly touch on there yourself, the May United game, which fans... It's a bit like mm -hmm. QPR fans. Every QPR fan states that they were there. I wasn't. I was watching at home at my nan's on New Year's Day in 1992. Yeah. What was it like for you to play in? What was the buzz like afterwards to be May United 4-1, which I don't think at that point they'd ever had a heavier defeat, certainly in the modern era. That, uh, was, um, that was a day for Bailey. I mean, he had a great day. He played well. I remember I didn't play well that day at all, and I missed a sitter as well. It could have been 5-1. Um, so it wasn't a good day for me personally, but uh, but but Bailey scored a hat-trick, and, and he, he played well all around, and it was just a great day. We had a nice travelling support. I think it was New Year's Day, right? Yep, New Year's Day. Yeah. New Year's Day. So we had a nice travelling support, uh, away support. And, you know, those fans were treated to um, something that doesn't happen too often at Old Trafford from any team to win there by three goals. So everyone was happy. And, um, you know, just like I said earlier, we at, when we had a, our full team out, we didn't have a full team because who was missing that day? Um, I think we might have had one or two. I don't think Les played that day. No, I don't think Les. It was you and Dennis up front, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Dennis. Yeah, that's the reason he was in there. Les might have been injured. But still, I mean, he, he, he had a great day. And I don't know whatever became of Dennis. I don't know where he went to after QPR. I've lost track no, of him. Maybe you can fill me in. Divisions, I think, yeah, I think, you know, for him, that was his purple patch at QPR. But no, good yeah. pro. Um, yeah, good pro. And definitely had good moments. Um, I didn't want to get to this part, but we, uh, the story of your career with narrative is obviously when Jerry took over, for some mm. reason, he didn't. The, the two of you didn't suit, and you were soon to part. Off the road. I was gutted as a QPR mm. fan. I remember being, I couldn't believe you were being sold. How? What happened really at that point? Was it just a case of you not seeing eye to eye? Was there a fallout? What happened with with, with Jerry? No, no, I don't think it was. It was wasn't anybody's fault. I don't think it was just the way things go in football. You know, um, I think when when Jerry first got on board, I think the first two or three or four matches, I I was in a slump and I wasn't playing well at all. And um, I don't know how it worked, but anyway, then I got injured. So there was a little bit of a, you know, 
we weren't firing on all cylinders and I wasn't playing well personally. And I think Jerry thought he needed to try and change things up a little. I know he had, he'd, he'd worked with, uh, he brought Gary Penrice in because he'd worked with him before, maybe at Bristol Rovers or wherever, Bristol City, wherever he was. And he brought Penrice in just as cover for me. And then Gary played when I was injured and played well, scored a few goals. So I think he kind of felt like he needed to make that change. And funnily enough, at that time when I was out of the team, Ray Harford, who had passed away now, bless him, uh, had had met Luton, was at Blackburn with Kenny Dalgleish. And they were fighting to get up to the first division. I think they were in promotion, you know, yeah. area. Or they had, you know, they were close to getting promoted. So they wanted, they called me and said, are you interested in coming? Jerry said, you know, I think I'm going to go with Gary Penrice. Maybe it's, it's a good opportunity for you to move on. And that's, that's how it happened. There was no ill feelings. Um, it was just one of those things that happened. And I, was, I didn't want to leave, but I could see that Jerry was headed in a different direction with the team. And it was different to how Don had set the team up. And it just, for me, it was just probably the best thing to do So you know, for everyone. And, and that's what happened. Mm. Sad day for, for us, keep you off that. Mm. I mean, your legacy at Loftus Road, in theory, it was a short period, but... Do you, are you aware of how loved you are at, at Loftus Road and at QPR? And how do you look back at your legacy at the club? Well, um, yeah, I mean, I know I got on well with the fans and the fans enjoyed me watching. And I love playing there. I love playing at Loftus Road, every home match, um, because you could feel there was a sense of the fans wanting to see a team playing yeah. with a little bit of flair and, and, and um, excitement and, you know, craft and guile and all that type of thing. And I love to do that. And we're playing up front with Les uh, and Andy Sinton wide. I mean, and Ray Wilkins in midfield. We had players that could do, do things on the field and entertain the fans. So, and that was the most important thing to me. I enjoyed scoring goals, but I enjoyed more than that just to be able to get fans off their seat and to entertain them. Because I, we're, at the end of the day, people go and watch football matches, even now, to be entertained. They don't want to see something they can see on a Sunday afternoon at you know, in, in their local park. There's a million guys that can do that. They want to see something a little bit special. Yeah. And that's why Letizia and Gascoin and, and many other players that were in that era, you know, entertained the fans and that's what they wanted to see. So I was happy to be a part of that at QPR. I wish it had lasted a little bit longer. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was thrilled to be a number 10 player there. And, and if the fans enjoyed it, then that's, uh, you know, that's, that's good with me sure you'd be welcome back and any anytime you're over again i'm sure you'd be welcome yes. back with, with open well arms. i told you we'll have a beer the next time I yeah come I'm, I'm holding you to that Roy. i'm definitely holding you yes. to that um a quick word on post qpr because not all our listeners want to or qpr fans like me um mm. you went on to as you say play for blackburn which was in the early days of under under kenny and with uh, and, uh, ray harvard as you mentioned could you sense something of the beginnings that was happening there that obviously they went on to win the league a few seasons later could you sense yeah. something over there yeah you know when i moved up to blackburn I started having injury problems with my knee and um, I was never, ever, I tore my ACL, the anterior cruciate ligament, and I never, ever regained the strength or the ability or the flexibility that I had on the ball that, you know, I mean, with injuries like that, I, mean, I, I was around 30 years old. So things like that start to affect the way you can play and what you can do. So I never recovered properly. I got called into the U.S. national team to play in the 94 World Cup. But I wasn't at full strength because I injured that knee maybe six months before the World Cup in 94. 
And the doctor said to me, you either have surgery, which means it's an eight-month recovery, you're going to miss the World Cup, or you just try and rehab yourself as much as you can, and you'll be at 70%, but at least you'll play in a World Cup. And that's the decision the, the U.S. national team coach went with me just to be a part. But it was disappointing because I got to play as – I never started in any of the 94 games because of my injury. I came on, but it was disappointing because I wasn't able to play – with my full potential. So even though I got to a World Cup, which was a dream, I was never the player that I was hoping to be or that I would have been, you know, a few years old, a few years before without the injury. But what was the World Cup like, though, in terms of the country at the time? Because obviously it was brand new to, to the States. It was full of colour, mm -hmm. full of some of the... In terms of players, I think some of the best players we've seen at World Cups, when you think of Romario and Klinsmann and, and all that lot, Stoichkov and Haji. Yeah. But what was that like, to, the whole atmosphere like to play in? Well, I mean, a World Cup is a World Cup, no matter where, what country it's in. But the Americans really know how to put on a show and they made it yeah. a great World Cup. I mean, all the stadiums were full and Americans were just waking up to the game at that time. I mean, that was, I think the reason they, the FIFA gave the World Cup to the States in 94 was to try and kickstart the MLS, which started in, in 96. So it was like a precursor just to get the Americans awakened to the game that the whole world, you know, considered the number one sport. So it was new for the U.S. They put on a good show. And, you know, as a, as a national team, I think we got, we got out of our group. Yeah. And we lost to Brazil in, in the last 16, and which was on uh, July 4th which was, um, you know, Independence Day in the U.S. We played in front of 100,000 people in San Francisco and we put on a good show. So people, it was a good thing for the U.S. to see their national team be able to compete at, at that type of a level. So it was a good thing all the way around. And what do you make of the kit? The you can see it behind me now, Roy, the, the yeah, classic I that yeah. kit. I mean, we always yeah. talk about it a lot on this show because it's, it's my favourite kit of all time. What do the players make of wearing, the de as they call it, the denim kit yeah i mean it was just a piece of americana that you know that the, they try to sell that as a as the denim american look which it wasn't denim but it looks like denim so it, yeah. i think it was a i think it was a good it was a good you got the cushion look me oh nice i'm never yeah, yeah, nice. there you go well. oh, there you go wow very <laughs> nice match i like it yeah i think it worked out all the way around it was a good a promotional thing for the u.s and and um like i say the team performed well on the field so it was a good kickstart for, for Major League Soccer, which, which started a year and a half later. And everyone was aware of, you know, what the game could be. And now MLS is, is thriving. A lot of teams, big, big league and, and good support. So it all worked out in the end. And you were part of that first MLS. You were at DC United, weren't you? So yes. you were kind of, do you feel like you were there at the groundwork of the MLS? And even, were you there when they did the run, the penalties as well, when they used to do the penalties from the, the halfway line? Was that still No, that was, that was in the old NASL. Okay, that was right. when Paul and Pele and those guys used to know. When, when MLS started, they had to conform with all of the FIFA guidelines. So none of those weird rules were in play. Uh, they all had to configure with, uh, with FIFA. So I know it was, but they wanted players like myself and John Hawks came back from Sheffield Wednesday to be a part of the kickoff. They wanted the national team players to be a part of the kickoff for MLS. So that's when I came back to the U.S. in 96. I played two or three more years and then I retired. So played the 98 World Cup. Also was still injured. I still hadn't had my knee fixed from four years ago. Still had an ACL problem. So I played in two World Cups. Was never at full strength in either one of them. Um, but, you know, it was a great opportunity to be in part of the World Cup. So. 
Before we go, I, I have to ask you this, and it's something I didn't actually ask you last time we spoke because it, it's a strange quirk to your career. You went into golf post post football. I mean, how did that come about? And I assume you're a very good golfer. How far did you get in in terms of becoming well, a pro? Um, when I retired from football. I wanted to take six months off just to decide what my next steps would be, whether I wanted to be a coach or, or open an academy or, you know, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I knew I needed a rest because I hadn't had a rest from football from 15 to 35, which is when I retired. So for 20 years, it was nonstop football. Um, joined a golf club, started playing golf and just got, got the bug, got hooked and just played and played regularly three or four times a week, joined a joined the club and played with a group of guys. And within a year or so, I was almost at a professional level. So I tried to qualify for a couple of the European tour events, which I did. And um, I just became a professional and just started playing as a professional. I never got to the heights that I hoped to because I started the game so late. And, you know, all these kids now, whatever sport it is you play in the world, if you are not playing at seven, eight, nine years old, you, you're losing ground. So... I enjoy my golf. I play now just socially and enjoy it, but it was a nice break from football. Any notable players you played against or, or got, even got a little a win against it on, in your time on the golf course? Um, not really. I never made it to the highest levels of, of golf, but played against players who, fans of people listening, wouldn't really know because they were young kids at the time who had managed to move on in their career. But, but like I say, just to, to be able to play at that level at a different yeah. sport was, was a nice... Um, you know, it was just nice to do. Yeah. Uh, and because I couldn't run around with my knee so bad, golf yeah. was the perfect way to, um, for me to continue being competitive, but not running around kicking a football. I'm surprised more footballers don't, you know, Gareth Bale's obviously a big golf fan. It seems to be the competitive edge stays in them. It's a, it's a sport. Yes. yes. Um, before we let you go, pick out a highlight for me from your, from your days at QPR. I know we spoke about that goal at Man United, but is there certain moments that stand out for you? Um, not individual moments. You know, I was thinking the other day, I see Kenny, Kenny Sanson in the news who, uh, who I was very friendly with. I see he's had his troubles over, over, you know, over the last couple of years. So I remember there was a goal we scored. I set him up against Arsenal. I think it was in, a, in an FA Cup replay at, at, at Loftus Road um, where I beat two or three defenders in the box and, and, and pulled it back for him on the edge of the 18-yard line and he smashed it in. So that, that was the, I thought about that a couple of days ago when I was thinking of Kenny. So, um, but no, just in general, I can't think of any particular things, but just in general, playing at QPR and at Loftus Road, I really, I always smile when I think about those days, because like I said to you before, those were, those were the two best years that I had in, in England. So, and I wish it had lasted longer, but it didn't. But, you know, that's, uh, those were just good times for me. So, you know, I look back on that memory fondly. Because you were there when we won at Anfield as well, if I remember rightly. You were there. Yeah, we won at Anfield. Anfield. Yeah, I scored a goal there. Now that you bring that up, yeah. I'm sure there are a million things. If you could remind <laughs> me, I would remember them. Um, but yes, we won at Anfield that day and I scored a goal. And yeah, I mean, there's probably a lot of things we could think about if we had more time to, to reminisce about it. But just in general, with my QPR days were, um, you know, I smile on those days. Yeah, well, you're top, well, third top scorer, I think, in, your, in the whole first division in your first season at QPR. So there were, you know, many goals. For somebody like you say who wasn't an out-and-out -out striker, that's a that's a yeah. pretty remarkable. Like I said to you before, I was I was more happy setting things up for other players than scoring myself. But I enjoyed scoring. But if I had to pick one of the two, I prefer to beat a couple of players and 
set somebody else up. That's how I got my enjoyment out of the game of football. Last thing, Roy. I mean, what are your what do you make of the current US A team? Obviously, there's a, a lot of young stars coming through. A couple of them at Barcelona now. You've you've mm-hmm. got uh, obviously Pulisic at Chelsea. What, what, yep. Where do you rank this this team? Do you think this could be the generation that finally gets America to that next stage? Well, hopefully. I mean, that's what everyone in the US is hoping for. You know, the, the good thing now is a lot of the younger American kids are, like you said, playing in at top European clubs and getting a good education. <clears throat> if I relate that to the 94 team that I played with, I think myself, John Hawks, and maybe Tom Dooley, there were only three or four of us that were professionals in that team. All the others were college kids in the US. So if you flip that over to the way things are now, you know, a lot of the young players are in Europe and that's got to help because that, you know, that's a breeding ground for, for great players. And like you said, Pulisic is having a good time. And he's, he had a good education at Dortmund. He was at Dortmund, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <clears throat> so there are a lot of players out there, and hopefully that can only help the U.S. Yeah. And uh, finally, let's just plug the, the, your, the Sports Ed TV again. Where can people find it on, on the website, yeah. the Twitter address? Where, where, whereabouts? So tell us more about it. You know, what it is, is, is it's, it's a way for, for kids who, who don't live in a, in a privileged society. So you're talking about Asia, Africa, that kids don't have, the access to go to private academies or have, you know, ex-professional coaches teach them. What I'm doing is doing some videos with a, with a business in Miami and we're doing online videos for kids. So any kid that has a phone can go onto our website, which is Sportshead TV, and maybe you can plug it to your listeners. I will. And the kids can go on there and they can see all the different type of exercises that teach you how to play the game properly so it's not just some mom or dad who's never played before teaching a kid how to kick a soccer ball with his toe or you know head a soccer ball incorrectly they can learn all the right things and hopefully educate parents too who are, who are not especially in the u.s most parents haven't played the game growing up but their kids are playing and maybe they want to take the kids on the back lawn or down to the field and, and kick around with them they can go on and on our website and see the correct way to teach their kids and it's it's helpful for kids all around the world. So it's it's a good it's a good way for kids to learn how to play. Yeah, check it out. They've got a Twitter feed as well, Sportshead TV. Uh, Roy, we need to get you on Twitter or Instagram. You can feel all the love from the QPR yeah, fans. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> I'm not good with social media. Like I said to you, this is the first interview I've done in a very long time. Um, but we'll we'll get together. We'll have a beer ash in London when I'm there, and we'll talk a little bit more. Appreciate you, Roy. Thank you very much for talking to us. I know it, it's, it means a lot to us and it'll mean a lot to, to the QPR fans as well. So yeah. thank you very much for your time. Um, yeah, check it out. Sportshead TV. I will do a little plug on our Twitter feed so people can check it out. I might be getting involved myself as well. So check out for that as well. Thank you, Roy. Thank you for listening. And we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Ash.